Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey, what's going on? I have a special guest here, Shannon McClay. She's worked in banking for 10 plus years with Bank of America and Merrill Lynch and proceeded to make the jump as an entrepreneur. And she created what is now called the Financial Gym. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the Clocked In podcast. So let's start off. Where did you start your career and how that progressed? And then what, what made you come up with the Financial Gym? Yeah. So I started my career 20 years ago in on a trading floor at Bank of America. And I was a business major in college. I didn't know a whole lot of what I wanted to do except make money. That was like my whole focus of school. I wanted to make money with the least amount of schooling. That was how I came up with the business major because um, you know, medicine and medicine was like way too much. And I also don't like the sight of blood. And then law was like, I didn't want to do three more years of law school. So it was like, oh, I could get a job right out of college with a business major. So that's what I did. And, um, and I loved working on a trading floor. I love, love, I love finance, um, and working in the field. So I did that for, um, I did that for the next eight years and, um, did a really good job just, you know, making money. And that was my, my mission in life and my purpose. And, um, and then I hit 30 and, you know, kind of felt like a shift in like what I wanted to do and was looking to, uh, all of a sudden making money all the time wasn't like the thing, but I didn't know what the next thing was, but I wanted to, you know, find purpose. And, um, and that kind of led me on a, 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 a journey. I read a book about happiness. Um, and that was, I read that book now. Let's see. I read that book. It'll be 10 years ago now. And, um, I still read it every now and then, but it really like woke me up to like what um, I wanted to achieve in life. And and the ultimate message of the book was that to find long-term sustainable happiness, you should help other people and not expect anything in return. And that was the takeaway. And I thought, you know, that's something I want to do. Um, what, but I didn't know how it was going to get that? there. It's I literally called that. Happiness. And it was written by a Buddhist monk, um, Matt. Matho or Matthew, however you pronounce it, Ricard, R-I-C-A-R-D. Um, and it was my aha to like the next chapter. And so at the time though, I was working for a hedge fund and um, and trying to decide the next step. And I ended up taking a job with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch again. They had just merged. This was now 2000 and 
2009 and, uh, and you know, the whole, or 2010 and the whole 2008, 2009 mess was, um, happened. And I got this job to come back. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go back cause it's an awful place. Like they're miserable people there. Like I know I worked with a lot of them, but then I thought, you know, there's a lot of unhappiness there and I'm on this pursuit to help people. So maybe that's where I should go. So I literally took the job and my job was to work with Merrill Lynch financial advisors to help integrate Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And I got to know the advisors. I hadn't really talked to a financial advisor before that um, for years. So I really didn't have a clue, but I remember thinking I need a financial advisor too. And I started working with these guys. And I tell people I became woke to the advisory space because they're all just a bunch of old white guys. And I always say there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I married a man, I birthed a man, like I love men and I've been in financial services for, you know, 10 years at this point, I knew it was male dominated, but I remember thinking like, it felt really unfair if somebody wanted to find something different because it was just really hard to find. And I thought, well, maybe I'll become a financial advisor and I'll help more women become financial advisors. Like that's sounds like, you know, purpose. Um, and so I became a financial advisor and, um, started building my practice. I was the only female on a 25 person new team, higher team. And, um, and I was doing well, like I, you had to have $250,000 in assets to work with me. And I never even thought about that as being challenging because I'd been around money now at this point for 10 years, I had more than that, my 401k. So I remember thinking it's going to be really easy. And, um, and I did find people and, um, but then I started finding this whole other group of people that, um, is really the majority of Americans. Um, I didn't know that. I know it now. And um, that didn't have 250000 in assets, but wanted to speak to me as a financial planner and to help them. And um, and I always I joke that the gym would never, my business would never exist if I took the advice of my Merrill Lynch mentor who said, you know, pre-screen all your calls, Shannon, make sure these people have money before you even like get coffee with them because they won't even count if they don't have 250000 in assets. And I remember like, thinking in my head, like, I can't even imagine asking somebody how much they have in their bank before I have coffee with you. That just seems really like not something I want to do. So very intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough with um, the dynamic there because then it's not about the person, but it's more about, Hey, you got cash. I can hold your cash and let's see how that goes. Yeah. Like you have money. That's why I want to have coffee with you. I was just like, this is, this doesn't even sound like anything I want to do. So I was like, well, I'm, I have time. I'll take, co- I'll have meetings with whoever I'm going to have meetings with. So one of my first meetings with a wo- was with a woman who was looking for a financial planner. We'd sit down and it was, I said, it played out like a movie. Cause she was like, I have 250,000 of student loan debt and I make $50,000 a year. And, you know, I don't even know how I'm going to pay these off. And, um, and the kicker for me was, she was like, I just feel unlovable. Like who would want to marry me with all this debt? And it was a lot for a first meeting. That was not a first meeting I was used to having. And I remember thinking, I have no idea how to help this woman, but I wanted to, I wanted to figure it out. So I did this plan for her on the side and, you know, I said, here's what you do and, and, you know, let me know if you have questions. And then I started doing a number of those. I it became, I called them my pro bono clients, people who didn't have the 250,000 in assets. But because I was taking every meeting, I was like, yeah, what, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> what's going on? And, and I was figuring out how to 
do these kind of plans on the side. And I did that for a while. I joke, I became the worst financial advisor ever because I love people with no money. And I loved those pro bono clients. And I did that for a few months and then it led up to the final aha week. Um, And the week started with a couple, they had over a million dollars with me. We were reviewing their portfolio and they're both making six figures, like doing well. Everything was fine, except they spent an hour of my time and their time just complaining about like where their money was because the the markets were down 3% and they're just like, how are the kids going to go to college and how are we going to pay the bills? And it was like, you know, the world was blowing up and it wasn't that that wasn't that much of a problem. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich. And it was just like really soul sucking. And I thought. And you, you felt that because you got the different perspectives of working with the pro bono clients. Yeah. I became woke. Yeah. you saw. Yeah. The pro bono work enlightened me to a whole other bunch of situations that I hadn't seen before. And so, yeah, I had just had less patience for this meeting right? <laughs> with, with that. And, but I, you know, made them feel good. Hey, everything's going to be great. And I left, I literally left that meeting thinking, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. This doesn't feel great. And then two days later, I had a meeting with a pro bono client and I did her plan for her. And the plans are just like similar to what we do at the gym here. Here's how much you need to save. Here's how you deal with the credit cards. Here's what you do with the student loans. Just bulleted, templated, you know, bulleted items for her. And at the end of the meeting, she said, you know, you're saving my life, right? And I was like, oh, like it hit me like a bold lightning. I was like, this feels so much better than that. And I was like, and it, it literally all came to me. Like it was like within that night, I was like, I've got to create a business for people like this. Um, and, you know, business that's going to treat people like human beings, no matter what's in their bank account. And um and um, I was on a weight loss journey and I remember thinking somewhere along the line as all this is starting to come together, I was like, you know, when I wanted to lose weight and get physically healthy, I have so many places to go to get physically healthy. But if people want to get financially healthy, if these, these pro bonos are reaching out to me, like where can they go? Where can I send them to? And I thought if you want to get financially healthy, you go to a financial gym. And I thought it's like H&R Block, but fun and cool. And advisors or trainers and they wear jeans and t-shirts and clients pay monthly membership fee, just like a regular gym. And just like a regular gym, anyone can go work out at a regular gym. Like anyone can go to this gym. And, um, that was seven years ago, seven years ago, this, this past summer. And I could not sleep at night. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I never thought about starting a business ever before in my life. And all of a sudden at 35, I'm like, I have to do this. Like no one else is going to do this. I have to do it. I left Merrill and how terrifying building was that it. jump you know what's funny is because i now work i've worked and coached and mentored a lot of founders since and for me like it didn't feel scary at all like which i guess is a good thing because if i really thought about like how challenging the road would be i never would have gone i guess but i just saw the need for the business so clearly it was like all that searching for purpose and what i was supposed to do was like it just hit me in the face. I was like, I have to do this. Like I'm, I'm the person who has to do this. Yeah. And it's super important because they're financial literacy. And I I've done a couple of different activities with it, whether I worked with a client going over their student loans or just helping them with credit cards. A lot of kids mm-hmm. never learn this. And then a lot of the student loans come down from their parents not knowing correctly. Mm-hmm. They were told, Hey, let's go to college. It's good. Yeah. Money. 
Yeah. You don't know the implications. I always say it is financial literacy is like regular literacy. It's like, it's a language. And um, the problem is that we aren't learning it in school. Like we are learning how to read or a language. We're not learning about it on our jobs. We're not, we don't really, we don't have a formal education and we're mostly probably not talking about it at homes because our parents probably don't, didn't get the education. Um, and so the, but the hard part is like, just like, you know, reading can Im- impact your, your, how you can work. It's the same thing with financial literacy. It has a financial impact on your life and knowing how to get it and understand it is, is critical. And, um, and we have a lot of clients who come to us who feel bad. They're like, I know I should know this. I know I should know about this. And our response is always, why should you know about it? Like, where, where were you learning about it? And our most financially fit clients, the ones who are coming in and sort of better shape than others, it's because they, they were talking about it in their homes. Most of them have like a, a backstory where, oh, my, you know, my dad told me about saving or my mom taught me the value of a dollar. Like, even if they weren't listening to the parents, you know, even if it was just like in the background, but they were still talking about money in a healthy way. Those are our most, you know, financially fit clients or the ones that are kind of easiest to train. The majority of people don't have that storyline. The majority of people are telling us, I remember my parents fighting about money when I was growing up. I remember feeling like we didn't have enough. Or I remember, um, you know, just feeling like anxious, watching my mom cry at the kitchen table over paying bills. Those are a lot of people's backstories. And then that yeah. just, that makes them want to avoid it when they get older and yet they're making financial decisions every day that are impacting their lives. Absolutely. And it's terrifying. And so many people don't realize what has happened because when you go, Oh, it's fine. I'll just pay the minimum on the credit card. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to pay double for the credit card. Like, or you buy a house, I'm just going to pay the mortgage. It's fine. It's not a big deal. These are everybody else is doing it. (laughs) Exactly. And it's, I can get the cooler car. I can get the bigger house. Why wouldn't I? Like, let's extend credit. Everyone's letting me take credit. No one's telling me no. That's why 72% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I always say it does not matter the size of the paycheck because we've got clients making six and seven figures who have nothing saved in their bank account. It's because you can level up in all those different ways. Yeah, you can go and get a couch on Facebook Marketplace for a hundred bucks, if not free. Or you can go buy a $10,000 couch. Yes. Yes. And I want to live in this town and I have to get these golf clubs and I have to go to this club and I have to be part of this tennis mat. It it becomes a lot. And then mm-hmm. the crazy thing is you see these people who are doing very, very well financially, but they're not, they don't have the financial literacy. They lose their job. They got to move out of the town. They're embarrassed. They're losing their friend group, their circle. It's, yeah. And it's not even that they're doing well. It's that it's this perception, right? The, the thing is, I always say money's the ultimate taboo topic because you can't really tell, right? What's going on um, behind the scenes uh, unless you're letting, getting let in under the covers, you know, like when somebody's not doing well physically, you can see it, you know, if they've, they've gained weight yeah. or they lost weight or ever like they you could see how they're doing physically for the most part um if it's mentally you can kind of see that too it comes out in somebody but if somebody's not doing well financially it's hard to tell and the problem is it's disguised as doing well they're like oh look at the new house or the new car and people think that's doing well financially and you know we see the behind the scenes and it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing well it means somebody gave them a lot of credit um and they're able to own this but um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing financially well. 
yeah, like I have, for example, I have some credit cards that are equivalent to my salary in credit. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, you can use them whenever you want. Yeah. So oh, yeah. You, you, and you could get behind so quickly. But mm-hmm. with me, I have the innate thing where it's when the month comes along, you got to pay that because my parents taught me that. Yeah. Right. And you heard that, right? And you're disciplined like that, Jordan, but not everybody is disciplined like that. And it's really easy to get to fall behind or like, because you'd only have to make a minimum payment on your credit card. So it's like, oh, I'll pay it off next month. And then something else happens. And then, you know, just started compounds and snowballs. Quickly. Yeah. And I didn't even realize this. My first time with the credit card, I was learning about it. And I actually had an instance where I missed the payment because of the two payments, like it just confused me. Mm-hmm. I missed it. And then I got an interest charge and I called them up and I was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, well, you missed the payment and you're going to get an interest charge for the next three months. Mm-hmm. I go, what? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. they'll take your money any way they can. Yeah. Well, you know, you could have asked for that to be refunded to you. Yeah. Just well, that's, that ended up what, ha- that's what ended up People happening. don't always know, right? And they let that compound. I'm like, you could always ask for it back. Well, that ended up happening, but it was just, I didn't realize that if you miss one payment, now it's going to build on for the next three months. Yeah, that's it depends. Like one time getaway. Yeah, it depends on, you know, the 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 fine details of your credit cards. Not all not all credit card companies yeah. do that, but it depends. They can, right? That there's when you sign up for a credit card, there's like 18 pages of fine print, right? There's a lot of things that can happen in there. Yeah. Usually it's not benefiting you. Yeah, it's difficult. So, what was it like starting the gym from concept to gym seeing it physically like there? Yeah. How was that process? Long and <laughs> <laughs> tiring. I mean, I I thought I was going to have gyms across the country like day one. I was like, this is the most brilliant idea ever. Um, yeah. But I knew nothing about raising money and what it looked yeah. like. And and I but I talked to people and and the feedback I got was you know bootstrap the business, figure out if people will pay you to help them with their money before you raise money. So. I did. Um, and so I, I had, I literally had the name financial gym from seven years ago, but I didn't want to put that out there. Cause I was like, well, it's just me bootstrapping yeah. it. So I'm not the gym. So I, uh, I called my company next gen financial. I was like, I'm going to offer planning yeah. and here's the plans. And, um, and I, you know, just started kind of networking and, um, had some of my financial or my Merrill Lynch clients like come on board initially. Um, but you know, when you start looking at people's expenses, it's a whole different relationship than when you're as their advisor and you're managing their money. And I wasn't doing that anymore. I I was like, Hey, I want to work on, you know, the budgeting, the, the, like the real things that are kind of moving the dial. Cause I always said like your investment returns, you know, on average, you're going to get six to 8% over time. So on a thousand dollars, that's 60 to $80, your investments are going to give you every year. So it's fine, but you know, it's not really moving the dial, but if I could get you to save a hundred dollars a year, that's a 10% return. If I get you to save, you know, $200, that's a 20% return. Like I was like, and that's guaranteed. That's guaranteed on, doesn't matter what the markets are doing about, you know, Brexit, a Trump tweet, government shutdowns, like this is what you can control. So that's what I wanted to focus on. I felt like that was more meaningful, um, than market returns alone. And, um, yeah. And so I wasn't really getting any takers. And then my first client started with me. She was in book club with my sister and or she reached out to me and I was charging at the time $500 for the year. 
So it was like $125 every quarter. And the $500 price tag seemed like too high for her. And she was like, I don't think that's going to work for me. And, uh, and I was like, okay, you know, have a nice life. And then I remember thinking like a few weeks went by, I didn't have any other new clients. And I was like, why, why can't I charge something cheaper? Like what, why is it just this thing? Like I'm the boss, right? I could create a new product. And so I created what we call, and we still have at the gym called the Kickstarter, which was $250 for the financial plan. And then I would meet with her in a year, you know, and see how she was doing. And so it was like kind of three sessions, $250. And she was like, yeah, that sounds better. So she signed up and then, um, she, so we did her thing. And then, um, about a week later, somebody from her book club joined. She also did a quick Kickstarter and then she recommended her boyfriend at the time. And he was like, I need more handholding. So he signed up for the full year program. So like within, you know, like a month, I had three clients all of a sudden. And the funny thing is clients one, two, and three, they're all still clients seven years later. We yeah. also work together. Clients two and three got married, have a child now. We, and they all have quarterly reviews coming up actually. Um, so, so yeah, that was my kind of first aha of like, you know, you don't have to be like so stickler about your thing. Like, especially early on in a business, you're just, you're trying to figure out what it is and, um, what's going to work. And, and so, you know, then I was charging people quarterly. Then I had a client who couldn't afford the quarter. Then I moved up to a thousand dollars a year. So then it was 250 a quarter and she couldn't afford the 250. So then, I created a monthly payment for her and then it just, you know, that led to, um, you know, other people. And then obviously our business model now is like the monthly payment, but yeah, it was, it was slow building cause it was just me and networking and, um, you know, figuring it out. And I got two years in and, uh, went through, I'd gone through everything I own personally. There was nothing left in the 401k, um, you know, the joke is when you're at the gym, you're in my sitting in my 401k. Cause like it was two, it was over 250,000 when I started this whole thing. Now it's zero. Um, and I literally remember taking the last withdrawal from my IRA account and thinking I'm like worth nothing. I'm literally worth nothing. And, um, <laughs> like I'm better off dead literally. Cause I had, I had a life insurance plan. I remember thinking like, at least I could die. And like my husband and son will have something. Maybe I should die because I'm like, what? that's more the value of the company right now. And I, I was crying to my husband, that my then husband, and he was like, he's like, you're onto something because he saw that I had clients for two years. He saw the results I was getting, which were substantial working with people. He's like, I still have money in my IRA. Let's keep going. And, um, and literally like a month later, I had coffee with a former boss of mine and I was telling him about the work I was doing, what was going on. And he uh, was just let go from Merrill Lynch. And he, at the end of the meeting, he's like, I have this severance payout. How do you think I should invest it? And I didn't know I was going to say this, but I said it. I was like, I think you should invest in a small financial services company that's about to run out of money. And um, he was my first $100,000 check. And so he sent $100,000 in, in an envelope with a check that said, knock him dead. And um, then I was like, oh, now it's real. <laughs> so then I put out the financial gym. I got the financial gym trademark. I started kind of speaking more to like the gym concept. And then the business started growing more because people didn't really know what next gen financial was, but they knew what a financial, they, they, they could kind of get the idea of financial gym. And I had a podcast that was starting to grow. So I started to get more clients and, um, and that was like organically happening. And then I was like, wanted to hire my first employee 
and talked to investors. Nobody wanted to give me money because they were like, well, you're great and you've done great, but you can't replicate you. And I was like, I don't have the market on compassion and empathy. And I could teach anybody about ETFs and life insurance. Like this is not rocket science. And um, had to go back to my first investor. He gave me another $200,000 to hire Bridget, who's my first trainer. She just had her four-year anniversary. Um, And uh, hired Bridget and then built our first like kind of prototype gym. And then in 2017, we raised... We raised uh, $1.7 million of um, investor money. We built our like true prototype gym and um, to date have now raised $8.5 million of investor money. We've worked with over 6,000 people and we've worked with clients in every single state and, um, and growing every day. And so it's been a wild journey, <laughs> um, but... You know, I remember talking to somebody not too long ago, a new per- person who started a new startup founder, and he's at day one. You know, he's at like the I just quit my job thing. And I'm like, wow, like, good luck. <laughs> it's going to be a long journey. And I wish you the best. And, you know, because it's, I had no idea seven years ago it was going to be this long and arduous. Yeah, it's definitely an uphill battle. But if the purpose is there, then people are willing to go. Now, I like how you adjusted what you were doing because you, with the business model, you made more uh, pricing options, mm-hmm. make it more accessible, higher rate, higher, um, more capacity to work with them, more time on your hands mm-hmm. to work with them. Now, do you see any way that, find, like, obviously you're helping, like, it's a help one, one, you know what I mean? Have you guys thought about, um, like, have you thought about some way of helping like financial literacy? Cause like the have junior achievement, I've participated in that. And I think financially literacy is super important mm-hmm. and it's definitely got to get into schools and kind of re make it commonplace instead of taboo. You shouldn't be talking to your parents and they go, I can't tell you how much I made cause that's inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have a lot of plans, uh, for dear, bigger things. We have a lot of different educational, um, uh, like webinars and seminars and things that we do for different groups. Like we have worked with as young as middle schoolers to as old as like AARP members, like um, who also need financial literacy. So we have different education programs for different groups. I get asked a lot about the, um, the younger education and the challenge that is there that is difficult. It's like, again, just thinking about financial literacy as being like a language. What happens is you might learn about it at school, but it's like learning like Spanish in school, but not really speaking it. Like if you're not engaging in the topics, like hearing about a credit score is like me, you know, knowing that like bread means this, but it doesn't really like resonate because it's just, it's like book education. Until you have the credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Until you start doing it. And then you, you know, it's just like immersing yourself in you're learning Spanish and then immersing yourself in Spain, you know, for like a month, you're really going to get good at the language. So for us, yeah, I think we need to build, there's like different education. We're all about building the ideas as soon as possible, but from a practical standpoint, it's really tough to like get people to really understand it until they're, they're experiencing like an economic 
situation, like an interchange. Like I advise parents, like parents ask me a lot about teaching your kids about money. And I always say the sooner you can create a, an economic system at home where your child has to earn money, where they have to spend money and they have to save money, um, which are the core basics of like financial literacy, the sooner you can do that, the better. And you could create that in the home. So, you know, your, your child, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's chores around the house or, um, you know, I've heard of parents like get doing grades for, uh, paying for grades. And I know some people are not sure about that, but I'm like, you know, it's just like a job performance, right? Like if you do well at your job, like you're going to get a bonus. If you do well in school, why not get a bonus? But everybody's household is different, but create ways they can earn money. And then like, make them have to spend their own money. Like, so you, you know, you provide food and shelter and things like that. But if your kid wants the extra things, then they're going to have to use their money to pay for it and understand that, you know, they can earn as much, but then, you know, they have to use their own money on things. Um, and then create also kind of a savings thing. So that's what I've been doing with my son since kindergarten and he gets it, but even still like he, he needs to be reminded of it. And he's like, he had time, he, recently saved up a bunch of money um, and bought a computer. And I said, you know, you're going to have no money left. Um, There's nothing. And then um, he, he, you know, was like, okay. And then he started spending money on like the apps. And I was like, "Uh, you don't have money. Like you have zero money. So how are you getting out of this? And we created a chore system at home and, you know, he, you know, with, with the ledger of how he could spend his money. And he started doing the chores. The funny thing is he kept doing them so well that I was like, I don't want to have to owe you that much money now. So like yeah. <laughs> I had to like backtrack it, but you know, he had to understand, like he had to do work, right. To get the money. I, the sooner you do it, the better. Yeah. And there's definitely different ways of doing that. Some mm-hmm. of the, I had just a couple of books that impacted me, like the richest man in Babylon mm-hmm. teaches you like save 10%. I know you guys say save 15%. Um, we just want you to start it. We want people to just have a savings mentality, right? Like we, we're actually trying to push for larger than that from clients. Like I have some clients saving 70% of their income. It just depends on, you know, what your life journey is. The the point is to have a savings mentality because most people spend the money or plan to spend the money and then whatever's left is saved. And I'm like, yeah, and it should be saved first, then do that, pay yourself first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard that policy and it, and it makes it completely different because then if you're doing that paying yourself first and you go okay i only have a hundred dollars for the next week and i want to like drink a beer mm-hmm. i'm probably going to go to the food store and buy six beers instead of go to the the, um, the restaurant and have one beer where it's the same price because you realize you spend differently are- you spend differently when you have those kind of choices versus the problem is that most people have is like i could just put on the credit card Right. So oh, like yeah. there's always money available, um, but it might not necessarily be money you have. We get clients in this like savings routine and what's so funny is they'll say, they're like, I'm poor. Like I'm poor. They might be checking account poor, which this is normal. We want you to feel checking account poor because we want you to feel like you don't have that extra money, right? Like you really yeah. only have a hundred dollars left. But meanwhile, in your savings account, you have $3,000, you know, like that's what we want to happen. So yes, we want you to feel poor all the time. And, and we're the same way. My team, we joke at the team too. I mean, I have like on a given day, I probably, you know, I don't have much more than like three or $400 personally in my checking account. Now I have savings accounts, you know, and I have automatic savings happening and there's money there, but 
on a regular basis, I don't have a lot of money in my checking account. And that does impact how you're. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I would have some clients where you meet with them and they're like, yeah, I got paid. And I'm like, okay, you, let's say they got paid a thousand dollars, right? You get paid a thousand dollars. And I'm like, what are you going to do with it? And cause to me it was automatic. It's like, okay, I have my Chase bank account. Mm-hmm. Then I have a Fidelity, a TD Ameritrade, like all these different investment accounts. And if it moves to the investment, it doesn't come back unless we're doing another investment. Mm-hmm. It just won't work like that. You're not going to take that out because it takes two days to transfer. It's protected. It's not mm-hmm. an easy thing. Um, and a lot of these people need to build these like moats and kind of these protective walls mm-hmm. of like, hey, I have the checking account. If it gets stolen, okay. I still have all my other accounts. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people have. Yeah. And, and and it's not, again, back to the thing, it's not their fault, right? They don't know or they don't think about it. Or it's an afterthought and money just naturally gets spent. I mean, we have some clients who meet with their trainer almost like every two weeks, like when they get paid, like on payday, they're meeting with the trainer to help them walk through like the places where their money should go. And it's, the, the savings process, like we just want clients to have a savings habit, A, and then B, next level is like a savings focus. Like your money should have a purpose. Um, every dollar should have the purpose. And hopefully the large majority of your dollars aren't meant for paying bills and um, paying off credit cards and debts. Like that's not the purpose we want for your money. And it's the purpose for a lot of people's money, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's so many people that are so scared of the stock market or they're, those are taboos in their own sense where people go, I don't really know about the stock market. I don't know too much about it. I'm not sure if I can do that. So they try to overcome that by going, I'm just leaving it in the account. Right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not working for you. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is like, I mean, I get to the stock market, the whole other animal, but you know, my biggest or the biggest claim we hear is that people are scared of losing their money. And I always say, you know, inflation is one to 2%. And if you're sitting in a checking account, you're earning less than 0.01%. So literally your worst fear is happening every single day. Like you are literally losing money in your account every single day by not investing it. So what, how much worse could it be? And, and it's just, again, getting people comfortable with the fact of knowing there's different types of ways of investing and, you know, investing for your retirement account, which is, you know, 50 years away is very different than investing for a house, which is two or three or five years away. So um, again, that goes back to the financial literacy and understanding, um, you know, and and your money having a purpose, like having the money there. And then what is it going to be used for? And a big discussion in financial literacy is the mindset. Mm Mm-hmm what is some ways you overcome and change people's perspectives? Because it's a very difficult situation, especially when someone comes to you and you have to break the news of, Hey, these loans are going to be a mess. Mm -hmm. This is going to be, you're not allowed to move out of your place because you have to pay these loans. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's a lot of, it depends on the person, right? There's different challenges with mindsets for different people. Um, And so it just depends on what they're coming from. But for most people, especially coming to us, if they're feeling like they're living paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, our response is like, there's just two ways to get out of this, right? Either we are going to 
it's like puzzle pieces. So either we need to make the pieces smaller. So we've got to make some tough choices. Like maybe it's a different apartment. Maybe it's like getting a roommate, you know, some tough choices on the expense side, or maybe the puzzle pieces are too small and you need bigger pieces, meaning you need to make more money. And, um, and that's a big challenge we see of people. They don't, understand that's one of the biggest things that we do as we tell our clients exactly how much money they need to make. Like we get all of their life goals and then we tell them like, Hey, you want to do this, this, and this, you're going to have to make this. Um, and, and the mindset challenge there for people is like, well, I'm making 70. How can I make 90? It's like, well, have you tried to make 90? You know, like, it's like, it's just like, we, we lose a lot of fitness analogies and it's like, with the savings. Well, I've never saved $500 before. Have you tried? Like most people, the mindset is like, I can't do it because I, I can't because I haven't. And it's like, well, just because you haven't doesn't mean you can't. Like there's different ways to start doing that. Like I've never run a marathon, right? But like there is a process and there are steps to take and there's training to take. And I'm going to run a little bit every day. And at some point I will be running, you know, 15 miles a day, but you actually never really run a full marathon before marathon training, but um, you get to that point, right? But you don't start running 20 plus miles on the day. And so a lot of what we're trying to tell clients and talk clients through is like, it's a process. And so like student loans is like, student loans is like a marathon, right? You're not going to pay those off tomorrow. It's not going to happen. Like you're not going to win the lottery. Like the government's not going to forgive all your loans. (laughs) Like all these like great, wonderful things are not going to happen. It's going to, but you can pay them off with a process and over time. Especially with this uh, situation we have now, I literally checked um, the student loans today and they have, there's no interest until first uh, quarter one, quarter two of next year. Yep. So that gives you right this moment, you have six months to pay just the principal, which is essentially paying the actual debt instead of having the interest go up. But a lot of these terms scare a lot of people mm-hmm. and they just go, I got no idea. I got a couple extra bucks in my pocket. Let's keep it. Let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's very interesting, but I think it is super important to open people's minds to what is possible and get them uncomfortable because there's so many people that stay inside their comfort zone where, oh, I just leave the money in the debit account. I've never gotten a credit card. Not going to do that. Well, hopefully you're listening to this and today's the day to get the credit card. Yeah. And use it appropriately. Yeah. We have a lot of clients who are scared of credit cards, especially our millennial and Gen Z clients because they're coming out with a lot of student loan debt. So they're like, look, I already have a lot of debt. I don't want to have more. And the response I always have to that is a credit card is not debt per se. It is a payment method, just like you'd use a a debit card or cash to pay for something. It's just a payment method. Now, if you don't pay it off every month, you don't pay it off when you should, then it becomes debt. But you can use it just to pay bill, you know, pay things yeah, and like exactly. you would with cash or debit card. And there are benefits for it. Um, and especially where your credit score is concerned, because that's the, the challenge we're seeing with, with some of these clients is that they're not, they're not starting their credit history. Really. They think that their student loans are providing credit history and they provide some, but not enough. So that when you get to the point where you maybe want to buy a car or you buy a house, um, and you're struggling with getting approved for different loans because you're you have what's called a thin credit file, and um, for better or worse, the best way to build your credit history is through credit cards. 
Yeah, and the credit cards are super important. The way I view them, and this is a lot of people's misconceptions. They go, if I get a credit card, I'm going to overspend. Mm-hmm. My view on it is a credit card protects me from my stuff getting stolen, first of all, when people are always going around with their debit cards, right. throwing it on the gas. People are stealing all the time. Yeah. If you want your actual cash to get stolen, that's a pain in the butt to get back from the bank. Yeah, the credit versus card. a fraud, filing a fraud alert on the credit card. Yeah, and you just get a new card sent to you in two days. Super mm-hmm. easy. They remove it. It just, it just, that makes sense to me. And then, yeah, well, the, but people, people do have challenges with overspending. And I, I want to say, like, that's, that is a real thing. So I, you know, if I, what I tell clients to, if we're just kind of dipping our toes, but in the water, like, start with something small. Usually a first credit card, you're only going to probably get $500, $1,000 limit. So you're not going to get like two, out of control. Um, but you know, funny thing though, it is knowing yourself and how you're going to use it. Like I've had clients who, you know, start with me with credit card debt and we work them out. We work them into a cash budget because we got to get yeah. them out of the credit card spending. And then it's funny at two, two in particular, two different women, different things. Like when, you know, they're six months, six to eight months into like the good b- behaviors. And I said, okay, look, do you want to use a credit card again? Like sign up for a new credit card. And like both went over the rails. Like they, like once the card came back in, the spending went back up and I literally had to tell both of them, you are not allowed to use your credit card anymore. Like you, they just, cause it's like it's yeah. a habit and they, and yeah. they don't. So I was like, one of them, I had her credit card in my wallet for like a year and a half. I was like, you're not allowed to use <laughs> this credit funny. card anymore. So oh, yeah. That's really funny. And <laughs> one of the ways I like to control the credit card is if I know my monthly spend on it is a certain number, like so let's say it's a thousand dollars. If it gets above a thousand, maybe we start going out so much. Maybe we stop doing yeah. activities and Yeah. But that see that requires you looking at it all the time. A lot of times people don't want to look at their credit card savings. So but I have done that with I have, you know, a couple who they just had a child and like just trying to manage life with all these things. Like they kind of, the spending got a little out of control. So we said, I said, let's move you both to one card that they both, you know, have, cause he, he had a credit card. She had a credit card and stuff to keep up with who's charging yeah, what and what. Yeah, you get a joke. So, yeah. So I said, let's get you on one card. And then every Sunday, like they have a, their like weekly spend numbers, like four or $500, whatever it is. I was like, every Sunday, look at what the balance is. Like, and you pay it off the card. And if it's over the $500, then you know this next week you've got to be hunkered Whoa. down um, or, you know, or you're okay for the next week, but pay it off and then start over again. And that's, that worked for them. There's different ways to to manage a credit card strategy that are going to work for you. But there are people who really can't use credit cards. I've seen yeah, them. Yeah, I've seen them. I've tried to coach them back into it. And I'm like, no, you literally cannot use a credit card. You literally can't handle it. Yeah, it's difficult. And the other major benefit to a credit card, just from my perspective, it's an assistant. Mm-hmm. It, it literally keeps track of all your purchases, where you spend the money, allocates it correctly. It makes it easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we're big fans of credit cards, but for the right people and the right strategy and the right time. Yeah. Definitely. So what do you think people listening to this can take away if, if we need an actionable step today. Yeah. I mean, financial I think literacy. The biggest thing I'd say is like, 
that I tell people is like, when you think about your financial situation, like what emotion are you feeling about it? Is it empowered, you know, excited or whatever? Great. Um, There's so many resources. Even if you feel like the best, you can always level up. Okay. We have, we call our financially fit clients. Like there's always, you could be investing more. You could be using credit cards as a, as a strategy. You could be earning more likely. So if you're feeling like that, however great you feel, you can do better because I've seen it. So that's one thing. If you're feeling like fear and shame and afraid and scared and all these kind of negative emotions around your money, I would tell you, first of all, you're not alone. Um, and the other thing is everything you do financially is fixable. So no matter how you feel, like you can fix your situation. Um, it's just a process and how much fixing do we have to do? But, um, you know, if you're feeling those kind of negative emotions, money is, it's like our DNA. It is part of what we need to survive and thrive in this world. And you don't want your DNA being filled with negative energy, right? So take the steps to kind of get out of it. And, and it is, it's learning, it's getting the literacy. Like I, I tell people there's plenty of podcasts out there. Um, you know, we have, there's YouTube sites like, you know, financial gym, we have so many free resources out there to explain to you, like start the process of getting more comfortable with what's going on and, and, um, and work toward the things that are create giving you this anxiety and fear. And, you know, if it's, if it's debt, okay, well, let's get a debt plan together. Or if it's like, I don't feel like I'm making enough money. Well, let's work on a strategy to get the job and get the income you want. Or if it's, I'm scared of investing, there's a million podcasts around investing. <laughs> like, um, or, you know, there's different, there's different resources. So there's whatever it is, there's a solution. Yeah. And it's just super important to realize the value on finding someone to hold you accountable mm-hmm. and finding someone to have you there because there's many times where people, they don't have that much money, but they'll still invest in doing something with me or doing something with the financial gym or whatever it is. And they have to realize that if they're putting their money down for this, because it's so much harder to give a coach a hundred dollars, than go and run up a hundred dollar bar tab. Right. It just is. It, oh yeah. Inevitable. It's the same thing. I saw you out and I know your situation's not great. Yeah. I, um, I always, we always have people like, why should I spend money to save money? I'm like, Hey, if you are hitting all of your financial goals, your hopes and dreams, like don't spend money on working with it, you know, on, on getting accountability. Yeah. Right. Don't, but, but if you're living a life where you're not doing that and you're not getting out of it yourself, then investing in accountability is actually going to pay for itself because you're somebody who needs that person. Just like we always say, it's just like, you know, people who get, um, you know, a trainer at the gym, like they know they'll go to the gym because the trainer's there. Like if you know that's going to work for you, then you should think about investing because you will level up your game. But, um, you know, you also don't have to pay for that too. I, I always tell people get an accountability buddy somehow because again, money is so taboo that we're not talking about it. And we've seen this in friends groups and things like that. Like the person at the bar who doesn't want to pay for the tab or like there's like anger and frustration. It's like, well, you didn't tell me what your financial situation looked like. So how can I assume, you know, like you, you're the one out of the bar. Like, (laughs) I don't know what your financial picture looks like. So start sharing it with people, like normalize money talk amongst your friends. And, um, you know, you can have your own accountability circles too. Like it doesn't have to be a professional, but if you are not feeling confident in your finances and you're not continually 
executing on a financial game, then you need some accountability. Yeah, for sure. And I, when I started the Edwards Consulting, I, it was a holistic thing and it was all about finances and then it moved to personal development. And I didn't realize the, the value on accountability, but once you start putting someone to an accountable plan, their growth expedites. Mm-hmm. They find new jobs, they get new things, they get promotions, they make more money, they're disciplined and they're just happy in life and they're on their way. And it yeah. really makes a world of difference. It's game changing. It really is. And I, I understand, I understand the struggles of, you know, spending money and like deciding how you spend money, but you know, we spend money in a lot of different places for a lot less valuable resources. So, I mean, um, you know, again, I would say if, if you're just not feeling like totally comfortable, then maybe that next step is like investing in, in that. And, and, you know, we have, we have clients who started with us and and don't really get, do the work and get the job done. You also have to be ready to do the work. Cause you know, I would say it's like work, you know, a regular workout program. Like I'm going to show you how to do the sit-ups and the method and but you got to do the sit-ups. Like I can't do the sit-ups for you. So, you know, you have to be ready to do the work too. Definitely. And I, I think, I think it's all very beneficial raising financial literacy around us is super paramount and super important and it's definitely getting overlooked. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate you going out there on your journey and uh, dedicating yourself to helping these people. It, it really is making a world of difference. Changing yeah. a lot of lives for the better. That's that that's my purpose. So here we go. My team asked me like how long are you gonna keep doing this? I was like until we're a million members, you know, so I've got a lot a few more years in this seat. So that's my yeah. goal. A million. Yeah, numbers. I mean, you gotta you gotta shoot high. You gotta do it because it's not even about the people that you're helping today, but it's the family. Like they're gonna go off and they're gonna go to their family and be able to go when they have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gonna go to their kids and say, "Hey, we're not taking student loans. I yeah. got messed up in that, and I had this great advisor, and he helped me through it. But I don't want you to go through that." So we're going to make sure we have the financial means or we're going to pick something else. Yeah. It's generational shifting too. Definitely. Cause you're starting, we talk about it starting in the home and, um, and you're just changing the home it's starting in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on and yeah. being so insightful. Is there, is there anything else you want to leave anyone with? I, I mean, really my biggest message to everybody is about the, if, your finances being fixable. I think so many people feel like stuck or like trapped by their financial situation or like doom and gloom. And it's easy to feel like that, but we've literally seen, we've literally seen every situation change. We've had clients start with negative dollars in the bank account because of bank overdraft fees. We've had clients have to file for bankruptcy. I mean, we've literally seen it all. And, um, and, changed at all. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's not life or death. You know, I say my dad's a surgeon, like when he yeah. goes to work, it's life and death. Like mm-hmm. finance isn't like, isn't life or death. So yeah. don't give it that much weight. They're just numbers and they can change. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Hope everyone enjoyed this. And uh, thank you, Shannon, for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, 
We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.